Let me ask you, what did you have for breakfast this morning? Oh, God, I had this amazing cereal that my friend brought me back from Greece because we used to <laughs> have it when we went on holiday there in our 20s and she went to Greece last year and bought me some. It's called Fitness and Fruits. Hi, I'm Tim. Welcome to We're Only Human, a podcast celebrating the resiliency of the human spirit through conversations with extraordinary people. We talk about all aspects of life here, imposter syndrome, breaking free from the script, living with intention, boundaries with family, what it means to be vulnerable, and the fact that we're all really just making this up as we go along. We're not perfect. We're not alone. We're only human. Today, I'm joined by Marsha Shandor. She's a daughter, storytelling coach who shows entrepreneurs, executives, creatives how to make an instant emotional connection with their dream clients, which is sounds like the most fun work ever, I will say. <laughs> it is. <laughs> That's good. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. I saw this talk you gave at World Domination Summit. I think it was in 2019. And I'm watching this video and you're you're talking about a beast that whispers in our ears and first of all, you're a fantastic storyteller and presenter. So I was captivated from moment one. Thank you. You're welcome. And then I finished it and I loved it. But I was really curious, what inspired you to give this talk about beasts whispering in our ears? It seemed like that might have come from a very personal place. So it's so funny because I, uh, I'd i been going to that conference for five years, I think seven years or something, since 2013. So five years. Sure. It's a long time. At that point. And um, and I had daydreamed about. I talk about this right at the beginning of the talk. I daydreamed about being on that stage, and and I would always wonder, what, you know, what would my talk be? And a few years before, I came up with this idea, um, and but I always thought I would. I'm going to write this like just for this audience, and because I know that audience really well, and I'd never done anything anything like that before. I talked about storytelling. I talked about networking back when I worked in radio. I talked about radio. I'd never talked about anything like this because I'm like I'm not a mental health professional. Like why would I? But I was like, oh, I really want to talk about it for this audience, and I honestly never thought it would go anywhere beyond that. And now it's been. <laughs> The video has been viewed like three and a half thousand times. I just got hired before Christmas by a corporate to come and do an interactive version for one of their like corporate, you know, uh, uh, away, oh, wow. you know, away days. I'm doing another version for some music students in Manchester in the north of England, or in Brighton in the south of England. Like it's it's had this life of its own. And just one point on that is I never swear on stage. Like I never swear on stage because it was because I was like, oh, only these things thousand people are going to hear this it's like i'm going to swear and now i deeply regret it because <laughs> i feel like it makes the talk much less shareable um but uh, but i i wanted to talk about it because it's just something that working working with people on their stories and you know being interested in self-development and having deep conversations with people and i'm the yeah. kind of person that often when I'm chatting to someone, like it often gets very personal very quickly with me just because I just tend to respectfully, but, but ask personal questions if I feel like that's, you know, acceptable. And, and, and because I have good judgment, I think it often is. And, and I've just come to understand that everyone has that beast who's just sitting there in their ear being like, no one wants to hear anything you have to say, you know, or, or kind of whatever, like, 
some people are coming up to your house and you're cooking and they're like, oh, you're going to mess it up and everyone's going to think you're a loser. You know that. And, and then I think part of the thing for me was being in the self-development world. It's like, why do I still have that beast? Like, why haven't I evolved past this? You know, because, because, and one of the things I say in the talk is 15 years ago, I couldn't have talked about the beast like that because the beast to me was just the truth. And it said really awful, awful things that I was inherently unlovable and inherently broken. And, you know, that was why if I went on a date with someone and he or she didn't call me back, they'd figure that out. And that was why, you know, and it was awful. And I like, thank you, privilege had a ton of therapy (laughs) to get out of that. But it was like, I just was like, why is it still happening? Even when I've had all the therapy and I've done all the meditating and the self-development work and I just started to understand like I think it's part of the human condition and I think the trick is not to defeat it but just to learn to tune it out to learn to lower its mm-hmm. volume lower its frequency and and tune it out and 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 obviously you know seven billion people and many of them are different but generally my sort of theory is that people who don't have one have learned to tune it either they've learned to tune it out or they just think it's the truth like they don't see that it's and and then I think the other thing is that so much of the messaging in, you know, I'm a coach and that's one of my jobs is that I'm a coach. So I'm very much in this online self-development world. And so much of the messaging is like, you have to love that part of yourself. Like you have to love it. You have to give it care. You have to thank it and appreciate it. And I feel like that is an abusive relationship. Yeah. Like if we had come on this podcast and you'd been like, so Marsha, I looked at your website and like all your stuff is terrible and you look weird in all your photos. I wouldn't be like, Oh my gosh, Tim, thank you. I appreciate you. So I would be like, can we end the interview now, please? This is horrible. I don't need to put up with this abuse. And so I think that was what I was really struggling with. And once I feel like for me, I had learned to tune it out. And so in that talk, I I say, you know, and when I do an interactive version, I'm like, here are the four things I have learned. And by the way, every time I do that talk, my beast is like, you're not a mental health professional. What the hell do you think you're doing talking about this? Oh, my God. Every time, especially when I did it, like now I'm doing it for corporates. I'm like, what what the hell do you, their wellness day, they're bringing you on. And I say to people who employ me like a million times, you know that I'm not (laughs) professional, but but partly it's about sharing what's helped me get through it. But really the main thing I wanted people to take away is if you say these awful things to yourself a don't assume that they're true and b don't assume that you're broken because you say these things to yourself that i think it's part of the human condition and and stop trying to think that you can get to a point where you'll never hear this voice because most likely you won't but you don't have to be suffocated by it i was gonna it's funny that you mention it's funny that you mention when you talk when you give this talk you still hear the beast i was wondering gosh and how (laughs) Yeah, I was wondering, the more you give it, like, I'm thinking you were on stage that first time in front of, let's say, a thousand people, and probably very nervous, I would be. But the process of giving that presentation, did that help you, like, not get rid of the beast, but to quiet it more? And then every subsequent presentation thereafter, like, have you become more comfortable sort of with the beast then? Yeah, totally. And that's why, yeah, so, so the first time I did it, Yeah, I definitely. And I even like one of the things I do in the talk is I put a bit in there to speak to the people. It's a very clever thing that I do for my own ego's sake, because I put a bit in there that basically says, I know that some of you don't actually think this is any good. And, And for me, I feel like, and I don't know if it's a British thing, but so much of the fear is around, do you think that I think I'm amazing? Like it's, I think that, and I, yeah. 
I'm saying this out loud and I'm like, good point, Marsha. I've never thought of this before, but I think that's a real, I think that's like one of the things that is a very British culture is like, you think you're so great, don't you? You think you're so great. And so there's a bit of me that wants to be like, and I, I don't think I'm that great. <laughs> and so I even have a bit in there where I kind of make a joke about how there are people in the audience saying, I don't relate to this. And that sort of helped. That's like armoring me against that bit of me. That's like worrying that they're thinking, I think I'm so great. But, but I, the first time I did it, I mean, I had lots of really, really profound, and I definitely like was really scared that I might be doing some damage. And I, and I put lots of bits in there to kind of, I talked about how 15 years ago I couldn't have told the story like that. Yeah. Because what I don't want is for, not even for somebody who's going through that, but somebody who's a friend of somebody going through, you know, what I did before all the therapy to be like, oh, just do these four things. What's wrong with you? Why can't you do, why can't you fix this? Um, and so, but I had people come up afterwards and talk about the different ways it's affected them. And, and some of them were mental health professionals. And so that was really nice. And then again, once I started doing it for corporates, that was another like, okay, this is one thing if I'm speaking to my touchy feely WDS do good audience, but is that all, is this also going to work for a bunch of people who work at a corporate company? And again, the response is people saying, I feel like you really understand me and I feel like you really saw me and I didn't know anybody else felt like this. And I do feel like at the end of the day, humans are humans and not everybody is going to relate to, you know, anything, anyone, even if some people even hate Oprah, Tim, and uh, oh, yeah. as hard as it is to believe. <laughs> and so you're never going to get everyone, but it's it's more this thing of like, I really want people to know this. And and career-wise, it would have been, in ways, much better if I had stood up and done a half an hour talk on how to tell a story, because then I probably would have got way more clients off the back of that. But that was where I was like, this is, this is where I kind of felt like duty to be like, but I need them to know that they're not alone. I need them to know that, like, it's okay. I sort of feel like the core of all of my work is like, how can I find ways to say to people, it's okay to be who you are? It's okay to be who you are. Except that I'm kind of political, so I'm like, unless you're like a super right-wing Nazi. <laughs> In which case, it's not. <laughs> no, I, think, I think it's so key. I mean, like, especially the part, like, we're not alone. You know, you're not alone in this experience you're having. It, it's kind of ironic. We're in, we're in this world where we can theoretically, like, air quotes, connect to each other more than ever with technology. But are we really you know, that connected, um, I, sometimes, you know, maybe we're feeling more alone now than we were before we could connect, which speaking of connectedness, I read somewhere that you have a flip phone rather than a smartphone, like, and you intentionally to, to this day still have a flip phone. Do you, I do. You I, do, do have a flip and phone? I, I don't have it handy, which means it's probably going to go off in the other room. I do have a flip phone. Oh, you know what? I can show you my old broken flip phone um, because I, it broke and I found one exactly the same. I'm so thrilled. It's a oh Samsung. My gosh. Okay, so for the purposes, I, that's the sound of it flipping show. Oh, yeah. I, it's a very, I, I feel like I recognize that flip phone. Like we all have had one just like that. And so I have a flip phone. And then as of, I used to have an iPod touch, but because nobody has an iPod touch, they now are so like, you can't get quite a lot of the software won't go on an iPod touch. And so in the end, I bought an iPhone, but I don't have a SIM card in it. So I borrowed my girlfriend's SIM card just to set it up. But it's essentially a posh iPhone, uh, iPod. Yeah. And, and even that, so I have, so it only works on Wi Fi and I don't have any social media on it. When I use Instagram, I immediately delete it afterwards. And I have, um, what, 
oh gosh, a friend of mine whose name I'm just having a total blank on calls home screen zero, where there's nothing on the home screen. Oh, wow. And then I, there actually aren't that many apps. Most of the apps you have to scroll through like 20 different screens to get to them or do spotlight search. And then also another thing that um, my friend Dave taught me, he's a client of mine, we did a, we did a whole talk about how your phone is a tiny tiger in your pocket because we re- respond to our phone like a saber-toothed tiger, is I have a setting where you press the button three times and it goes black and white because what he taught me is that the designers make the apps so that you're like oh wow look at mm, green with a white bubble Mm. oh i really want to check my messages but then when you turn it black and white who cares like it's much less appealing it really is less and so i do all of this and i have a flip phone to try and keep me off social media and off my email and yet tim and yet (laughs) i'm still on it all of the time but the great thing about having a flip phone is that you means i always have my text and my phone with me um it's actually very small i can tuck it in my bra um and it's indestructible i drop it all the time and it lasts (laughs) the battery lasts three days i mean that one i had to replace it but i'd had the other one for three years um, and and it just means that it's just that extra barrier to me going on those things. And generally, it doesn't ruin your life that much. Like Google Maps is a bit of a pain in the bum if you're traveling, but mostly you can down you can download. Actually, you can download Google, Google Maps is now for when you're traveling. And Google's so creepy that it knows where you are, even if you don't have a SIM card. So you can if you switch on your location services, you can actually see where you are on Google Maps. And like most of most of us do not have jobs where we need to be contacted at a moment's notice Yeah, without, I mean, one of my best friends has three kids and runs a business and has a job and she doesn't have a cell phone full stop or a Facebook account. Wow. And my mom, I was talking to my mom about it. My mom went, how does she parent? And I'm like, same way you did, Ma. <laughs> How does she parent? Exactly the same way oh, that I you love did. it. And she's written three novels and like a bunch of short stories. And when I tell people about all the stuff she's done, they say, "How does she do it?" And I say, "Cause she has no cell phone and no Facebook account, <laughs> so she has a lot of time on her hands." Um, you yeah. you mentioned that. So you got the flip phone to try and help yourself, maybe not dive into the social media and all that as much. Yeah. When when I lived in London, I had a phone. It was like in the early days of BlackBerry. So it was pre kind of ubiquitous smartphones. But I had a BlackBerry and a phone. And I literally had problems with my neck and calluses on my thumbs. Oh, Because I was commuting a lot and I would walk around all day every day just emailing people. And so when I moved to Toronto, all the people close to me in my life when I first moved didn't have cell phones. And so I didn't really need one. And then eventually I got one, but I just kind of having had that space of living without it. And even now I try and do once a quarter, I try and have a week off the internet week where I often will go on the internet, but I'll be off social media. And the main reason is because what I found, I did it first over Christmas. And then what I found is if you don't respond to every comment, if you don't like every reply, if you don't post on every post on your wall, guess what? The sky turns out does not cave in and i think it's just good to remind yourself of that on a regular basis because it can, we can feel this urgency of like oh they'll think i'm so rude even i'm in a facebook group and somebody like went off on this thing and i was i sorry i run a facebook group and, and i was away from it and i was like oh i need to go and reply and then i was like but do i 
or somebody else like responded something and it was like a political thing and we'd sort of got in a fight but then they responded and they were actually being quite reasonable and I jumped in just to say you know just wanted to say that I saw this and noted and I don't have time to reply now but thank you so much this makes sense and then I just have been like but do I need to reply to that comment on that political thing that happened two months ago. Maybe I just don't. I told the person, so they know I'm not annoyed with them. Yeah, yeah. And so it's all, yeah. And I and it's because I am, I mean, I fairly recently got diagnosed with ADD. ADD and so, <laughs> sorry, ADD, I can't even say it properly. Um, and so I, I have a brain that desperately, you know, and I used to be a smoker and I have a brain that like wants to get addicted to things at sure. an available opportunity. And so it's just how many barriers can I put in my own way? I think that's fantastic. Like it stuck out to me because, you know, I think so many of us feel like we need the smartphone this day and age, which, yeah, as you were describing, I'm thinking to myself, like, could I do that? Like Google Maps would be hard. I do use that a lot. Um, Although you could download it. Oh, there you go. So problem solved. And sometimes I'm using it on routes that I travel regularly. So I know the traffic patterns. Like, do I even need to be checking Google Maps? (laughs) But I, yeah, I do wonder, like, because you have the iPod with the Wi-Fi, so you can be connected if you're near Wi-Fi, yeah. which is probably not mobile which is... So, yeah, it's almost like when you're mobile and you're standing in line somewhere, and now you're not, like, just scrolling Twitter endlessly. And even, like, when I'm standing in line, I will often go on my iPhone slash iPod, but I'll read articles I've saved to Evernote. And that, to mm. me, is like a bit... Or I'll write an email to someone and, like... That to me is a better use of time than scrolling through Facebook. And then even on Facebook, like on the computer, I have an app. I use Chrome and I have an app that's disabled my Facebook wall. So I can only see things on people's Facebook walls if I go to them. And similarly, another place I realized I was losing time was YouTube because I'd watch a video and then 20 suggested videos would come up that I'd watch. So I'd watch another. And I thought there has to be. So I thought there has to be a Chrome app. So I Googled Chrome, searched in Chrome, disable YouTube suggested videos. Lo and behold, there is one. So now on YouTube, when I go on, there's no suggested videos. Like the homepage is blank. And then when I finish a video, it doesn't show any. And so it's just always like, what can I do? Even things like, look, let me show you a magnificent piece of technology. I have a watch. A watch. And now when I want to know the time, (laughs) I have a clock on my wrist. (laughs) And it means that I'm not pulling out my phone and being like, oh, maybe I'll just check this. Maybe I'll look at this. Oh, did I get this? And it's, uh, we should clarify, this is a real watch, not an Apple watch watch. or a Fitbit. This is an actual watch. Yeah. It's an actual, like, has a minute hand. Yeah. And again, it's like just another little barrier. And so, and I think also with these things, it's so... You know, we're so... It's like my mum asking how my best friend parents without a phone. Like, she's been so conditioned that you have to have a cell phone. But she didn't have one when me and my brother were growing up. And so, it is possible. Like, my friend has learned... She also doesn't have a watch. She is late a lot of the time. But she's learned where you can find the time as you move through the world. And, like, one of the things is um, parking meters always have the time. And she knows, like, which stores on her regular (laughs) routes have a clock. You know? (laughs) Which person's front room... and she looked through and that's see amazing <laughs> yeah. oh my god you just gosh. figure out these hacks i mean it's kind of like the pandemic you know i just was talking about this with my girlfriend that 
that she you find workarounds and she was she was saying that she's a person who has a disability and actually disabled people when the pandemic happened were like welcome to our world people and let us teach you about some of the hacks that we've learned to get through when you can't leave the house because that's what you know not all obviously for the disabled people that can't easily leave the house they've had to learn a bunch of different hacks and and so many you know it's going to be so poi 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 at some point she says knocking on wood the pandemic is going to end um or become under control in some way and and we'll go back into some form of the well, but it's going to be different and there's going to be lots more people working from home and there's going to be lots more things done remotely. Even I have a storytelling show and we took it online and I thought, oh, this is going to be substandard. But actually there's this magical, you know, yes, you don't hear the audience reaction, but you get to see them face to face, which you don't in a big, you know, where you have like 150, people. Yeah. And they're this big amorphous blob in the dark, but we're getting to see all their faces, getting to look into their living rooms, which feels so intimate. People are writing in the chat during the story. Usually there's laughter and there's gasps, but there's no like direct response. People, you know, loving, there'll be a character and be like, I stand for Dr. Curly Cap. Like people really responding in this way that's delightful. And after the story, everybody piles in with like who, you know, how they loved the storyteller and then I get to screenshot that and give it to the storyteller which I would never I'd be like did you enjoy the laughter you're probably going to forget it soon but now I can be like here is a screenshot that you are unable to forget because it's written down and so in the same way there's so many things in our lives that and and having a smartphone is something that we've all been taught that we can't yeah. live without but maybe we can and my but mine is a cheat right I don't not have a smartphone I have a smartphone I just don't have a sim card in it so if you can't quite cut the purse strings like me this is what to do <laughs> well like I said I think you've like eliminated the mobile part for the most part which is a step up from you know the addictiveness yeah. most of us have you you were talking about Toronto so mm. you just recently celebrated your 10-year anniversary moving to Toronto from London. anniversary. Thank your you Your anniversary. I love yes. that. I was curious, um, why did you move to Canada? Like, it seems like 10 years is a long time. Um, so I, I was like, is there like a life event that happened there oh, or yeah. just... Reflection. I was living in London and I was working at a radio station and I loved my job, but I also was starting to feel like radio... Was, so I was a music radio DJ. I was starting to fit on this great station called XFM that's famous for like Ricky Gervais had his first job there. Russell Brand and Simon Pegg used to have shows there. Um, me and Ricky Gervais like crossed over by like three weeks. <laughs> so I met him <laughs> once, but I like clearly it was so embarrassing. I went to the studio and pretended I had to talk to the producer just because I wanted to meet Ricky Gervais. And he was so <laughs> obvious that him and Stephen Merchant, like I could see in their eyes them being like, you just wanted to meet us because we're famous. Yes, I did. Um, but anyway, I loved, loved, loved my job, but I was starting to feel like being a radio DJ was not the thing I was best at. But I also just, even though I grew up in London, I'm not really a London person. And I always knew I would probably want to live outside of London. And my plan was to go back to Edinburgh, where I'd lived for seven years, and really just like, feel like a part of my soul is like, enmeshed with the cobblestones there. Um, But I knew I'd be leaving a job that I love to go to a less good job. And it was hard to kind of find the impulse. And I always said, you never know what life's going to throw at you. And then my best friend, the one I mentioned, who doesn't have a cell phone, has been living in Toronto for years, and I'd sort of considered it before. And then I got into a relationship with somebody who lived here and so it was kind of a no-brainer and um and so I moved and got permanent residence but like fell very in love with the city I have a 
tattoo of the CN Tower on my ankle. And then there's lots of like kids now in my life and, you know, my current partner and who had the baby three years ago. And so, so I'm here now. Um, but yeah, I have a tattoo of the CN Tower. I really love this city. I miss my mom every day. But aside from that, I love, love Toronto. I love being here. Oh, it's, it's such a great feeling to enjoy your surroundings, like truly enjoy where you are in the world. That's fantastic. Yeah, and I think I'm lucky in that. I mean, I grew up in London and I wasn't really a London person, but there's like a, it's like a deep arrogance to Londoners. You know how like the arrogance that like, God love you, you Americans have towards the rest of the world. Like, sure. <laughs> and and how the how the Brits, the English specifically, have that towards the rest of Europe, as we have seen during the great tragic events of the last, whatever it is, four years of Brexit. Um, but Londoners also have that to the rest of the country, where there's this kind of attitude. Like, okay. my geography of the United Kingdom was terrible before I moved to Scotland, because I was like, well, I don't need to know about anywhere else, because London's the best. And, and so even though I knew I wasn't a London person, I definitely have that, like, oh, but it's the best. I'm the coolest person. Like London is the coolest place to grow up, obviously. I think maybe only the Parisians and the French have, or New Yorkers like might feel that more than we do. Um, and then I lived in Edinburgh, which is just, if you've ever been there, it's just eye bleedingly beautiful. Just the whole city. I mean, you live in Chicago, so you know what it's like to live in a beautiful city. But <laughs> imagine that, but like a few hundred years older. And um, love it. So I've been pretty lucky that I have mostly lived in places I've really loved. Toronto, actually, the architecture is not beautiful and that is a, a very mild heartbreak about living here but um the, yeah residential houses are really nice but downtown it's not beautiful with the exception of the cn tower which as we have discussed i am obsessed with and have a tattoo of and can i'm looking at out of my window right now and call her her majesty and wave to her whenever i see her what is it about the cn tower <laughs> that appeals to you is it uh like i know it's a that's a landmark of that skyline of that city is that it or is there some other appeal I think that she's just so majestic. I think that she's beautiful the way she rises up from the city. There's this funny optical illusion thing where like the closer you get to her, the smaller she seems and the further away you get from the city. Oh, that's bigger. fun. Unless you even, even if you, like if you're directly underneath her, you might be like, that's pretty big, but it's weird. Like where I am now, you're like, oh, she's only a little bit higher than the buildings. But when you get out of town, you see she's enormous. And I love, there is that thing of like the city that I love that when you're flying back in, you're driving back in, you're like, I'm home. And then she's like lit up with all different colors and they do her red and green for Christmas and they do rainbow colors for pride. I've climbed her twice. They have like a sponsored climb where you climb the inside. Oh, cool. <laughs> and, um, and for years I was like, I can't get a tattoo of the CN Tower. I never, didn't have any tattoos actually. It was, I got sort of three at the same time and that was one of them. I was like, I can't get a tattoo of a commercial building. And then I was like, but she's more than that. And so, yeah, I just, I just love it so much. I just, and I love that so many different places in the city, you can see her and wave. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. I feel like you do have a special bond with her. I, do. <laughs> I used to live in my old apartment. I had this clear view of her. And if you look at my Instagram feed from sort of six years ago until three years ago, it's pretty much just pictures of the CN Tower. And one of my friends commented saying, this is my favorite Instagram romance. <laughs> Speaking of your Instagram, I noticed every post you make, you put a little section called image description, where you describe what's in the image, and you often put a little bit of uh, Marsha humor, you know, a little bit of personality in there. I was curious, why do you 
include that. So this is a thing for people who are using Instagram with e-readers. Like I think it's a thing that you will see more and more of because if if they're using it with e-readers, Instagram will come up with its own image description, but it's usually, you know, it's done by a computer, so it's a bit of a guess. Sure. Um and I do it for them and it's not even that I necessarily know that I have a big audience of people who use e-readers, but I think increasingly I'm trying to just thinking more and more about accessibility and trying to like I just was talking about this with my girlfriend earlier because she has a story so my girlfriend and I, can, I should give this a plug she has a memoir that's coming out in the US in March called how to lose everything and she talks in one of the chapters about she has a she has this like amazing she's an amputee and she has this amazing flower robot leg you know it's beautiful and people come up to her and ask about it like it's like walking around with a minor celebrity whenever we're on the street because people oh my god I love your leg and how did you get it and where did you get it from and whatever and she tells this story in the book about how she was standing in a car park and this guy comes up this older guy says oh can I ask you about your leg and she gets ready to be like yeah you know here we go and then he basically tells her this story about um how he there was a preacher a hundred years ago and he had a leg amputated but then everybody prayed and that the leg grew back and so like maybe we can pray and her leg will grow back and she's like i don't i don't want my leg to grow back and what she was saying to me this morning is she's like he could pray that there become elevators in every toronto bar so that i don't have to go downstairs to get to the washroom and and i feel like that's you know similarly i have a friend who runs an organization called stopgap where they put ramps outside of stores. And ever since I started, he's one of my clients. And ever since we started working together, I see now all of the stores that don't have ramps. And so he uses a wheelchair, so he just wouldn't be able to go in there. And it's sort of the, what I'm learning and what I've learned from Krista, my partner is that it's kind of the equivalent of hanging a, sign on the door that says sorry no uncle tim is allowed to come in and you would be like but all my friends have just come in and they'd be like yeah sorry no tims and um but people just don't think of it and so in the same way i'm trying to think about like how can we make things accessible before we need them you know and and i now at my online shows i have asl interpreters and it's partly so that if somebody does come who needs an asl interpreter then they um, have one but it's also for me it's kind of like a dog whistle to anyone who isn't you know I'm white I'm cis I'm non-disabled I'm not straight but I code as straight to a lot of straight people and so it's kind of a dog whistle of saying like if you are different from me you are still welcome here um, and so it's the same with the image descriptions you know it's the same with another thing which I'm which I today I'm like I need to change my Instagram um, description to include pronouns she, her, because, and it's not that I think people particularly, like, I think I present as, I mean, not always, I've got strong features, but, (laughs) but I think I present as people tend to assume I'm a woman most of the time when they look at me, but it's not because I'm worried that they won't, but it's because if I do it, then if a trans person has to do it, they're not necessarily outing themselves as a trans person. If we can normalize always talking about our pronouns, then it just becomes a normal thing so that trans people can also do it without it having to be like, and by the way. Um, And so that's the image description is kind of like that. And then I put a spin on it just because I have found when other people have image descriptions that I can't not read it. And so when I was just making them the same, I just thought it was not very interesting. I try not to put too much of a spin because I don't want it to be a pain in the bum for the e-reader. But uh, yeah, I just am like, okay, if someone's going to be forced to read it, then because their eyeballs, their ADD eyeballs won't let them not, then maybe it can be a little bit interesting. 
Oh, that's great. It's so interesting hearing the intention behind it and accessibility, basically. And you mentioned you try not to add too much color to the to the description. But as I was going through your Instagram, I got to the point where I would read a post and then get kind of excited to read the image description <laughs> because it was almost like... You know, it was like you had your caption and then the image description was almost like this person in the back, like kind of not making snarky comments, but kind of like putting a little personality into it. Yeah. But I think that's yeah. the other thing also is I love an Easter egg. So if you have a mailing list where I send out an email every couple of weeks and if you're on my email list and you read right down to the bottom, I sometimes have, I call it end credits and it'll just be like what's been going on in my week or something. And then I say, thank you for reading right to the end of the end credits. And the secret is that there's a secret message under every link in these emails and on most of the links on the blog. And you read them by, if you read on your desktop and you hover your mouse, this secret message will appear. And it takes me hours, Tim, hours to, <laughs> to write these messages. And there's probably two people <laughs> who ever read them. But it was, I stole it from my friend Jess, um, whose website is Verve and Vigor. When I was on her mailing list, she had secret messages and I just came across them and I was like, that's amazing. Like, I will stay till the end of the credits for every movie because I want to see if there's an Easter egg. I want to see if there's like a bonus, you know, Ferris Bueller saying, go home, movie's over. And, um, and and so I love leaving Easter eggs to people. So it's true that also in the image description, it does feel like a little bit of an it Easter does. egg. <laughs> oh, I love that even more. I'm glad. It, it's a win all around, right? You're helping people in many, many ways there. <laughs> you, you had mentioned when you talk about the CN Tower that they put green and red lights for Christmas on CN Tower. I, I don't want to assume here, but I get the impression you love Christmas just as much as I do, which is a lot. Oh, my God. I, <laughs> I would put up our tree for 2021 now if I could <laughs> swing it past my girlfriend <laughs> I could not yeah I literally start getting excited as soon as I take the tree down I start getting excited about next Christmas I love it it's so much oh it's so great I saw I saw on your Instagram you had um it looks like you have this tradition where you write notes to yourself on the tree so it started off as um one year I was wrapping my lights and I, and I looked and I was like, oh, I'm not going to know which end to unwrap from next year. So I wrote a note sure. to myself. And then I was like, that's kind of boring. So I write some more things. And now it's just morphed where I don't even talk about which end to unwrap from. And I just write myself notes. But actually, I went buck wild last year because when I opened them, I mean, in 2020, uh, beginning of 2020, because when I opened them at the end of 2020, I had notes everywhere. And like every single box, there would be another note. And... And it's usually sometimes it's kind of horsey and silly of like, hey, remember that thing in spring? And what about that other thing? Like, remember, there was that one thing that you thought would be so hard, you'd never get through it. And then you did. I'm so proud of you. Hey, your hair looks great. But actually, like, you can sort of tell what mood I'm in when I wrote them, because sometimes they're really like, Marsh, you got through it. Doesn't matter what else is going on right now. You're going to be okay. <laughs> and um, and actually, I had a little sign that I hung up that said, Dear Christmas 2020 Marsh, whatever else is going on now, remember, this is your season. Love, January 2020 Marsh. <laughs> and because um, and for me, it's also all the anticipation. Like, I love Christmas Day, but it's really about the build-up for me. Like, I just... And and it could be, you know, I've had some terrible Christmases, but I just don't really care what's actually happening. You know, sometimes people are like, oh, what if you have too high expectations? I've definitely had some giant meltdowns. I definitely this year, like, pulled out the pumpkin pie from the oven and it just collapsed in on itself and oh. knelt on the kitchen floor and sobbed <laughs> for <laughs> 10 minutes because <laughs> everything is heightened. 
Um, but yeah, oh my God, I just love it. I just love everything about it. One of my best ever Christmas memories was, um, oh God, this is when I lived in London. So it was maybe probably 12 years ago. I had these three days on my, free on my, I've never told this story <laughs> anyone other than good friends I had these three days three days free on my calendar because I'd been having a romance with someone who lived in a different city and then they were going to like a third city um and and I thought that the romance would continue after they left London and I was like oh maybe I'll just go visit them so I kind of secretly cleared my calendar for a couple of days and it turned out we had some very different expectations of what was going to happen after they, Uh-oh. <laughs> after they finished work in London. And it was kind of, you know, amicable enough, but I was just a heart, I was just, not heartbroken, but I just, I just got dumped basically. And I was really, just felt really sad about it. You know, this wasn't a great love. I'd only met them a week before, but, but I just was really bummed in the way that you're just bummed when you're dumped with sure. different expectations. Sure. And, and I had some money and then I was like, what if I just, went to a hotel for the night and I found this amazing hotel a couple of hours outside of London that had this like really nice swimming pool and um and I rented a couple of DVDs and one of them was Elf which I had never seen before so and then good. I also had these Christmas CDs this is like pre this is in the days of CDs and um I was very late to iPods also but uh but I had this like a couple of really great Christmas CDs and then when I got to the hotel they're like well the suite is actually free tonight so we're going to upgrade you for free and I and I just like it almost makes me want to cry with joy now that I was just sitting there listening to these Christmas CDs. It was like the Jazz FM Christmas. So it was like all these like classics, like jazzy <laughs> classics, but like you know, like kind of sixties, you know, big band like um, singing and and uh, and um, listening to this and eating like uh, room service, really delicious dinner. And then I went for a swim and then I sat and watched Elf. And I just, I'd been so heartbroken that morning. And I just remember sitting on the edge of my giant bed in my suite, just being like, I'm so happy. (laughs) (laughs) So great. And I now feel like, like in retrospect, it was a romance that like would not have been good. Um, And I think I could have had a romance that maybe we would have had these great romantic times and then we would have had this terrible heartbreak time. And instead I got this magical like night in a hotel with myself. That's one of my favorite Christmas memories, like one of my favorite total memories ever. (laughs) Oh my, how fun is that? Oh, that's amazing. And so much, I feel like so much, you know, not, not to, I have so many amazing memories that have involved other people, but when I have amazing memories of like stuff I've done on my own, there is a magic to it, like romancing yourself like that, you know, times I've taken myself out to dinner and had a really good time. There's something about it that's different and special. I think there really is. I I like, I struggle with that. I only went on my first solo traveling trip was almost two years ago. It was in April of 19, I think. And like when I went on that, I was like so nervous. Like just this, uh, I remember the eating alone part was back when we could travel and eat at restaurants and all that. <laughs> Where did but you go? I went to the Florida Keys, mm. which which actually worked out well because, you know, there's bars and outside and like this idea of someone traveling around the Florida Keys solo isn't a foreign concept. So like right. I remember, I remember two distinct times. One time I sat at the bar at, at this kind of like nice restaurant. It was very family, like cozy. Um, and the the person behind it, she would, she would talk to me and I... We didn't say anything, but I, I think she knew, like, oh, he's alone. You know, I'll, I'll tend to him. And then at this other place, I sat in the back patio, and there was, like, no one there. And the waitress would come over and, like, check on me. And 
I remember thinking like in both scenarios, like you didn't have to like call anything out and I'm nervous about this, but you made me feel comfortable. But to your point, like it just, I I guess uh, at least for me, I feel like deriving that sort of joy and amazing experience and all that pretty much from being with yourself is not always natural. Like, I feel like that's harder to do than if I were around people that I enjoy. So I I totally get what you mean is what I'm saying that like Mm -hmm. you kind of surprised yourself and ended up with this amazing experience of just you and yourself in this time that you love and that day that you love. So that's, that's great. Yeah. And I think there's something nice kind of self-esteem wise about it as well. It's like, Oh, I had a good time alone. Like maybe I'm kind of a great person if I like spending time on my own, if I don't need someone else to pull me out of myself. Yeah. It's like strengthening. Like I remember I got back from the keys and I thought, oh my God, I can do like, I can be alone for three days with no itinerary and no idea. You know, I I know where I'm staying at night. I know different places I want to visit, beaches and landmarks and what, but like, you know, you come back and I was like, oh my gosh, like I was alone. I survived. I'm not extremely sad right now. I'm happy. <laughs> wow. I can do yeah. this. <laughs> yeah. So I think you're right. Like, I think there's a lot of like strength to derive from just like realizing, you know, what yourself has for yourself, I guess. It's, yeah. Yeah. And actually to go back to something I was saying right at the beginning, something that I've been thinking about is this like, oh, you love yourself. You know, I was thinking about it because I bought myself, I was buying a friend a necklace for Christmas and and they had initial necklaces on there Mm. and I was like and I've always really liked them I've never had one and then I was like if I get one that the initials of the of like kids it spells either is or see and that's weird like it looks like it's a word and so I couldn't Mm. just you know it's not like it's like k and m or something and um (laughs) but I was like I really just want one with an m and then I was like, oh, you know, people are going to think like, oh, you love yourself. And then I was thinking how stupid it is that that's a diss. Like, imagine how much better we would all be as humans if we actually loved ourselves. Like, look at all the terrible things happening and, you know, the t- terrible despotic people in the world who clearly like hate themselves. And that's why they have to turn it out on other people. And like, imagine if they loved themselves, how different things would be and I just feel like it shouldn't be an insult to be like oh you love yourself so much it should be like oh you love yourself that's brilliant I wish I loved myself and I feel like spending time with yourself is like a way to learn to love yourself because you're not avoiding yourself you're just being like just right there and then you're like wow this is my company is pretty good company yeah it's so I love that because you're absolutely right the if we all loved ourselves more. And that, I think that's what I felt like when I came back from the Keys. I was like, oh my gosh, like this is, there's a little bit more of me for me there. Like I felt mm. like I got, you know, like that's, you're, you're spot on there. Mm. And I think, I think part of it is like, especially like in America here, like I think it has to do so much with like culture and geography and like the way we're raised. Because I think there's, you know, like in America, at least like the culture is very individualistic and like, which ironically you think would lead your lead to loving yourself more, but it's more about like succeeding and achieving and like Mm. being able to survive and, and, you know, be independent. And I think what I'm trying to say is there's a lot of like tough love kind of wrapped. It's all wrapped in tough love. And so it's, it's unfortunate because we got to start with loving yourself and then build upon that. And 
I think you're right that it's also like success, 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 but the metrics of success are yeah. not loving yourself and having no. a nice time. The metrics of success are the car and the, you know, the Lambo and the Rolex and the whatever, the being the CEO and all of those things. Yeah. And so, yeah, but that's interesting. When you were, when you were writing those, it dawned on me, when you were writing those notes to yourself on Christmas, because you would kind of write them and then you would look back at them. Was that sort of a way of like helping with the beast? Like you were able to kind of like give yourself some positive affirmation? I mean, it's funny because the first couple of times I did it, it was just ished and giggles, you know, it was just for fun. But when I read them, like there was one round <laughs> where January Marsha was not having a great time and December Marsha was also not having a great time. And I was really, really moved by them because it was kind of January Marsha being like, I believe in you. Like January Marsha was pretty certain that December Marsha was going to have had a hard year one way or another. And so she wrote very like encouraging messages. And actually there's another thing that I do, another practice that I have, um, which <laughs> started off because I'm very susceptible to caffeine. So I'm only allowed one coffee a day. And when I have that coffee, I am high as a kite. <laughs> um, and I think that everything's amazing and uh, everything's great. And what I used to do is like go on Facebook and just write really nice comments on everyone's <laughs> wall. And then I realized like, oh no, I need to harness this. And so I would try and do creative work straight after I had a coffee. Otherwise it felt like a waste. But there was one time when I was out and about and I was like, oh, I can't do creative work. And I had my, sorry, I had my phone, my iPhone, that's an iPod touch with me. And so I wrote, I, and there was one thing that I'd been really struggling with. And in that moment, I was like, oh, I see clearly how this is not a problem. And so I wrote a letter to my future self. I just wrote, dear future Marshy. And um, it was, oh God, I probably even have it. Because I, I remember where it was, I was in Australia. So I, so I basically was like, this thing that you're worried about, you know, is going to be okay for this reason, this reason, this reason. And um, knowing that, because when you're having a hard time, your friends can say like, oh, it's going to be, um, you know, it's going to be okay. And you'll be like, but you don't understand. But like, you do understand. So if past you is telling you it's going to be okay, then you're like, well, I guess you do understand a bit. <laughs> and, um, and so... Uh, I feel like I'm too embarrassed to read this out loud because I'm too British because it says a lot of really nice things about me. But the end of it is like, <laughs> you can do this, Shandor. I believe in you. Love and strength. Kiss, kiss, kiss. Past Marsh. And so whenever I... And so now I have a thing called Future Letters in my Evernote app on my iPod. And there's 50... I just saw there's 50 letters in there. And so sometimes it'll be like, if I do something and I'm really high, like if a work thing goes really well, or I've just done a show and it goes really well. And I quickly write down how it felt because I know that I think our monsters like eat compliments and eat good things over time. So like straight after you've done a great job, you might be like, oh, I did a great job. But in six months time, your monster's like, nom, 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 nom. And so you're like, I think I did a great job. And the monster's like, no, it never happened. And um, your beast rather. And, and so it's like me often writing to myself to be like, no, no, I did. 
so that I can go back. So sometimes it's about something I'm anxious about to be like, here are the reasons you don't have to be anxious about it. Mm -hmm. And other times it's just like, you just did this and it was brilliant. And then other times it's like, hey, you're going through this difficult thing and you feel like you're never going to be happy again. But actually today you're feeling really great. And so it is possible to feel great even as you're still in the depths of this thing. And then I will, if I'm having a hard time, will go to that file and I'll read those emails and it's so, and because I'm often speaking to my future self, like the, often the past self is being like, hold on, like there is a way out of this. This isn't a straight line, you know, this is cyclical and maybe you'll be feeling worse, but you are going to feel better again. And, and I find it so helpful. And I actually do a thing when I run workshops in person where I have a bunch of postcards. Sorry, the clinking is for the purposes of the podcast. I'm digging one out. So I have postcards. My friend Pamela Straco that made the mountain mural that is behind me on all my videos um, designed me a postcard that has my favorite quote from uh, attributed to Maya Angelou that says, people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. And I hand them out to people and I say, write a postcard to your future self and then I will mail it at a random point in the next 12 months. And I commit to not writing them. I think in the future I'm going to get envelopes so that people really know I won't. And and then what happens is at some point in the next 12 months, and I'll say, you know, maybe you'll write something you've learned in the workshop, but mostly like what is some encouraging thing that your future self yeah. wants you to hear? And then, and then they get it. And sometimes people post them on Instagram and it's so nice that it'll be like, keep going, you can do this, you know, and people are like, oh, I really needed to hear this right now. And um, anyway, and so that's another thing. You don't have to wait till Christmas to write yourself a future letter. But I think all of that, yeah, all of that probably helps with the beast because it's like, shut up, beast. Me, me thinks this. Yeah. <laughs> so it must be true. I like me this. knows better than you. Beast. I sort of want to try writing a, a note to my future self now and Do then it. opening Do it, it, you know, far sometime in the future. Yeah. And there are like, I think there's a website on, like, it's called Future Letters or something. There's something where you can type it in and it will email it to you at like a random point. Um, Ooh, that's so you can do that. I've also done stuff where if I'm sometimes I'm having like a really great email exchange with one of my best friends and, and we tell each other stories and I will schedule it to I'll get I'll use I use boomerang for Gmail and I'll schedule it to send it to me in like eight months time when I've completely forgotten about it. And that's really nice, like a nice little gift for my future self. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I like the idea of just uh, an email getting delivered to my inbox randomly at some point, just one day and it's me talking yeah. about you know from the past like that's really cool um you i was really curious uh i was reading it's so funny you have a wikipedia page which i'm assuming you're aware <laughs> of but i know other people have to like set it up but it's so funny um can i tell you my favorite thing about that wikipedia page is that yes please openly bisexual <laughs> i saw that as if i lead with, hi nice to meet you i'm mushroom openly I bisexual. Saw- <laughs> she does, she's not ashamed Yes, that's what I was really curious because again, I know that you don't write your own Wikipedia page; like the it's a, it's created by others. But I thought to myself, like, so whoever wrote this, like, thought that that, and and I don't mean this in a bad way, but it's not a super long Wikipedia page, right? Right. So there's only so much they wrote about you, and they chose that one thing to like be one of the ten Open things to call section. out. Yeah, yeah, it's important. I mean, I love it in that I feel like. I just in the last 10 years have felt it's very important to talk about because a lot of people think that bisexuals don't exist. And so I think it's really important to talk about. And I do talk about it a lot. Um, But uh, yeah, it's very funny that somebody had it. It was very random. Yeah. (laughs) But speaking of random, another thing I saw on there was that you 
the you were going to run the New York City Marathon back in 012. 012. Yes. No, what do we say? 2012. 2012. <laughs> and Hurricane Sandy uh, cancels it, unfortunately. So you run your own marathon in London. I was just so curious. Why in the world did you just still go I run a marathon did. by yourself? Because I had trained for five months, Tim. That's I was pretty not damn good to reason. not run a marathon. <laughs> <laughs> like, so many people were like, oh, I can't believe I've trained all this time. No, I'm not going to run a marathon. I was like, what is wrong with you? Run a marathon. Because <laughs> I started looking into, like, can I do Philadelphia? Can I do this? And actually, the week, that weekend, I was in New York for that weekend because I was already in New York by the time they cancelled yeah. it. Um, a lot of people did like a marathon around because the marathon, the New York marathon used to just be like six loops of Central Park, some number of loops of Central Park. So a lot of people ran that as their marathon and people had set up water stations and stuff. I went and did a training run around there. But yeah, I thought it would be really fun. I actually told this story on another podcast on the Good Life Project podcast recently. So I'm going to make you a secret web page that's yesyesmarsha.com forward slash we're only human. Um, and I'll link to that. But I, yeah, I did it and I thought it was going to be this very solo experience you know it's just like me 27 26.2 miles and my thoughts and I ended up having people running with me the whole way and all these strangers came to cheer me on and, oh my gosh and it was amazing and I raised like I doubled how much I've been raising money for um the charity of my friend the author Lisa Lynch who wrote the c-word um and we doubled how much I'd raised like in a week from doing this. And it was one of the, it's this great con because it was one of the greatest experiences of my whole life. And yet somehow everyone thought that I was a hero. And, um, and the first time, cause I'd run the New York marathon three years before and I pretty much just spent the whole 26.2 miles just weeping and promising myself I'd never run another marathon. And this experience wasn't like that at all. Like, I mean, I talk in the story on the podcast about how the last time I remember when I got to 13.1 miles and there's all these signs saying, oh, halfway you've made it halfway and I just remember the first time being like I can't believe I have to do that again <laughs> and this time I didn't even notice somebody pointed out half a they were like you know that that's Tower Bridge that's the halfway mark and I was like what because it felt like I'd been going for about five minutes I mean it was just I cannot recommend it highly enough do a solo marathon get everybody to you know email everybody you know and ask them to come and cheer you on and I had my family drive up every four miles with water for me and but it was yeah it was such a great great experience <laughs> worked out brilliantly for me I enjoy that your reason right away was like Tim I trained yeah. for five months for a marathon <laughs> why would I not be running a marathon like I love your determination there like yeah. it's kind of like when I gave up smoking I smoked for 15 years and there were so many times where I really wanted a cigarette in the months afterwards and then I thought, but if I have one now, all those other times where I didn't have a cigarette, I may as well have had a bloody cigarette. Like, it's mm -hmm. just a waste <laughs> of all of that, like, misery that I went through. And so I refuse to be, <laughs> I refuse to waste my past misery. <laughs> Marsha, this has been so much fun. So Thank much you. Fun. Thank you so much for taking the time to join me here. And I, I really appreciate I, you know, I think what I'm taking away here is I'm going to try, I don't know if it'll be an email or a letter, but I'm going to try and write a future note to myself and see, see what happens. Love it. Have a, have a, how do you write things? Do you write things on your phone? Do you have like a, do you use the notes app? I or? use the notes app on my okay. iPhone primarily. Yeah. So start writing future letters in the notes app. And just call it future letter and then the date. And then anytime you feel moved to, like anytime you feel good about anything or any time you remember something that would be helpful that, that you think you might forget about, about how to like, 
you know, be happier or less stressed about something. Just write it as a future note and just get into that habit. And then every now and then look back. And it's just, I cannot recommend it highly enough. It's so lovely. Um, this interview has been, this has genuinely been, I do a lot of podcast interviews. And this has genuinely been one of the most fun ones I've ever done. And we've gone to place. I told you a story I'd never told anyone before. <laughs> It's been so great. Thank you so much. You ask brilliant questions. Thanks for listening to We're Only Human. Before you go, I would love to know what you had for breakfast this morning. Just send me an email, tim at we'reonlyhumanpodcast.com, and let me know what you had for breakfast this morning. Thanks.